It matters little how we die, so long as we die better men than we imagined we could be, and no worse than we feared. Welcome you back to Drive Back the Night in Andromeda Series Podcast. I'm Ryan Mazzocco. And I'm Ethan Maestri. Big episode number 54, The Unconquerable Man. A lot to talk Whoa. about. Oh, Ryan, did, did you feel that? Actually, yeah, I kind of did. I felt something go oh. through here. We welcome you to the first edition of Drive Back the Night in Andromeda Series Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Mazzocco. And I'm Ethan Maestri. And we're we re- so glad to have you here for this first re- episode of Drive Back the Night. Yeah. We're, uh, we're really looking forward to what this podcast has Ethan. to be. I tried to warn you. What are you doing? Ryan, I'm a podcast host. I have to do this. I cannot play second fiddle to anyone. I'm sorry. I know we said you no, were going to take point on I this. I got to take the mic away from you. I'm Did you bring a gun well. to the studio? I've been playing on this for a long time. Glad I brought my nine. Whose idea was this to begin with to do this podcast? I mean, honestly. Did you really think that I was just going to sit by and just let this happen without me being the main personality on this? Ow! You shot me! (laughs) Well... Now that that's over with, time to get on with my review of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda and the review of the very first episode, Under the Night. Hey, Ethan, I was just thinking, do you remember that time when you killed me and then you went back in time again to not kill me? I don't recall, but I seem to remember it happening. Yeah. Yeah, what was that all about? Not really sure, man. You know what I think? What's that? I think you knew that you needed me for this podcast. You know, it pains me to admit it, but I think you're right. Hmm. This show can't go on without you. Well, the show must go on. And this show will go on episode 54 as we are here back in the present day. I feel like we've in, already introduced this. <laughs> in the correct timeline. Yeah. I think we have. Yeah. This is this is uh, Drive Back the Night Prime timeline, right? Yes. Okay. I think so. Okay. We haven't yeah. done the spinoff yet. I don't think so. No. No. Okay. Is it though? Is the, the Prime timeline actually the one where you killed me? Yeah. This is and, and I think if I remember it correctly, I did like three episodes and then lost interest. Yeah, and then went over to Farscape. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, that was the spinoff. Okay. <laughs> well, it's too bad you don't have any of that recorded in this timeline because I kind of would have liked to heard that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, that would have been cool. Maybe we'll do that after this. Yeah. Okay. We'll see what happens. 
anyway, on to the show. Episode 54, as I have mentioned numerous times. The Unconquerable Man. A lot of stuff to talk about in this episode, I think. There is. So, even, um, even though it's a clip show. It's a clip show. <laughs> yeah. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about how we feel about clip shows and how we feel about this one. Probably. Okay. Probably. But before we get to any of that, Ethan, did you happen to dig up any trivia on this episode? One or two, or just three. Three? Yeah. All right. Well, let's hear all three of them. Okay. Uh, this episode is written by Ashley Edward Miller and Zach Stintz, and it's great to have this writing crew back, as uh, as we'll find out as we go through this story. Now, this uh, show was directed by J. Miles Dale. This is his second stint in the director's chair. It was also his last stint. So, we previously saw his work as a director for the episode Dance of the Mayflies. That's his only other director credit. So, uh, Dance of the Mayflies and The Unconquerable Man. And then he's done. Hmm. No more no more Andromeda for this director. He does go on to be a producer in uh, quite a few movies and a lot of television, though. So, his career is by no means done. And then finally, we have Steve Basic returning as Geharis Rade. And he's been busy since the last time we talked about Steve Basic. Um, I think the last time we did was uh, episode 8, I believe. Of uh, season two, when he shows up as Telemachus okay. or Telemachus, as I want to say whenever I see it in print, <laughs> um, in the episode uh, "Home Home Fries," ah, crap, fires, home fires, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, since 2015, when we last talked about him, he's been making the rounds in well, uh, to my count, well over a dozen made-for-television movies, even appearing in several television series as well. So, Steve Basic has been quite the busy man. And obviously, we're gonna we're gonna see him some more in Andromeda. What in this episode? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So there you go. And that's what I had for fun facts. All right. Well, let's not keep everybody waiting. I think you also have the summary for this week, don't you? It was a good thing. It was a short fun facts because yeah. I saved my voice for the summary. All right. Here we go. Harper is rolling out the cryogenically frozen body of Geharis Rade. He's been deep in the bowels of Andromeda, stored by Dylan, for some reason. How about this one? They're finally going to give him back to the remaining members of Geharis' pride. The handoff is set to begin when, huh, what's that scar on Geharis' hand? I don't remember that one being there, and whoa, did you feel that? A random wave of universe-altering Tesseract energy washes over the Andromeda, and just as quickly as you can say string theory, we're off into an alternate universe. Geharis is alive, and not only that, he's about to destroy the Tesseract machine that Harper and Hone built in the episode Ouroboros. Just as he's about to pull the trigger, Trance and Becca appear right in front of him and tell him to think back to how he got to this point. Geharis does. Flashback. Dylan and Geharis square off on the command deck at the Battle of Hephaestos. Refractions of Dawn gets a hole blown in her chest. Andromeda is heading for the black hole, and Geharis, in their firefight, drops Dylan like a bad habit. 300 years later, Andromeda is pulled from the black hole and boarded by the Eureka Maru's crew. Geharis gets Andromeda to accept him as commander of the ship, kills Gerontix and the other mercenaries, but convinces Becca and her crew, including Tyr, to join him in his quest to restore civilization. Later, Geharis has Harper develop an AI based on Dylan to play Go with. 
The AI looks and acts just like Dylan, helping Geharis to work out some of the numerous problems that he's faced with while trying to bring order to a chaotic universe. We travel with Andromeda to Witchhead, where, just as Dylan did in the Prime timeline, Geharis slaughters the Nietzschean battle fleet, much to Tyr's dismay. Geharis admits to the AI Dylan that things are not going well. The Magog worldship should have been a catalyst for bringing worlds and powers together for good, but instead, the Nietzscheans can't be trusted, are weak, and resort to blackmail in order to keep worlds from uniting together. Later, Rade feels that he can no longer trust Tyr. He calls Becca to his quarters to inform her that they are going to have to act against him. But instead of the support of his trusted first officer and what? Girlfriend? Becca tells him that she has to leave in order to clear her head. Still later, Tyr finally makes his move. In the ensuing standoff, Rade's hand is injured, but Geharis gets the better of the situation, killing Tyr and Asazi. Things are really starting to unravel for Geharis, as Go Dylan points out. Just when things couldn't get worse, Harper's Magog eggs start to hatch. It's off to Sinti to build the Tesseract machine. Things go fairly similarly to what we remember in the Prime Universe. The Tesseract starts to affect the ship. Calderon's attack, Hone dies. Becca and Trance appear before Rade just before he's about to destroy the Tesseract machine, and Trance explains that she thought Rade was the one that could lead the universe out of chaos. But it turns out Geharis is pretty bad at this. So she convinces him to cross the timelines and set things up in order to give Dylan a chance to make the universe right. He agrees. He travels back to the Battle of Hephaestos, kills the Rade that's going to betray Dylan, and takes that Rade's place. He strolls onto the command deck, kills the Than again, then monologues, eventually giving Dylan the clear shot that he needs in order to kill Rade. Flashback, or back to the present. Harper almost feels like he knew Rade. Dylan laments that he'll never know why Rade did what he did, but he had good intentions. And thanks to this clip show, now we know Geharis was the hero of his own story, The End. Very good summary, Ethan. There was a little bit of work in that one. Mm -hmm. I had to keep... I had to keep like two timelines together. Yeah. That, that stretched me a bit. Mm -hmm. It, it tasked me. Well, it got better <laughs> on each listen too. So. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I guess I'll just start off by saying, I'm not sure. Maybe this should be a discussion about characters later and maybe we can get into this later. But, uh, I just want to say now Rami actually turns out to be a terrible soldier. Doesn't she? Terrible soldier and an awful AI. As far as security is concerned. Yeah. Well, I mean... To your point, though, what, what, what were you going to make? He threatens to erase her, so she folds like a cheap tent. That I, Exactly. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. A horrible AI. <laughs> Who wrote the programming for this AI? I yeah. mean, come on. I will never follow your commands. I'll erase you. Okay. Whatever you want. Yeah. 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 Cheap tent. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's convenient that Dylan iced Rade instead of incinerating him or launching him into a star, or the black hole that they were orbiting before they left, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I wonder what it was that caused Dylan to think, yeah, he betrayed me, but I'm going to hang on to his body. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I, that that seems like what you would maybe, do. Maybe pull him out on the anniversary every year or so, and, you know, 
throw something at the body or yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be a reminder. Yeah. Yeah. I but I, I'm just thinking, you know, why wouldn't you just eject that and, and leave just it behind? Be done with it. <laughs> be done with it. Exactly. Right. Or if nothing else, because why are they bringing him at, out now? Because they think that his, his family, his ancestors, Telemachus, his, um, what are they called? The genetic reincarnation. His, yeah. I, they, they they think that he's that they're going to want them. That's why they're bringing him out to take him to him. Right? Here, here's my question though. Okay. Why at the end of home fries uh-huh. fires? Why at the end of home fr- fires? Yeah. <laughs> did we not go ahead and give him the body then? Huh. <laughs> you know we're establishing goodwill, what right? Do you, what do you mean? <laughs> well, I'm just it. It occurs why would to they me. Do, uh, no, no, no. It occurs no, 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 to no. me that doesn't make any sense. You could save a trip. No, what you want to do is you want to wait like a whole nother year. Oh, by the way, <laughs> I was moving some furniture in the lower sections, right. and I found your uh, your ancestors' crypt. Yeah, I want to know how this conversation goes down because. Hey, Telemachus, remember that time when you were asking me all those questions about Gaheris? Right. <laughs> Turns out, I actually have him still. <laughs> totally slipped my mind. Funny thing. But <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you want him? <laughs> Can you sit in the shuttle? <laughs> you got a 20 for gas, so I'll come drop yeah. him off. <laughs> I don't know how many guilders it costs to ship a body, but... yeah. I don't want to find out. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm kind of stuck on the Rami thing. I'm going to go back to that real quick. There's a lot there. I know. Well, <laughs> you know, they're about halfway through. I kind of started to feel a little bad for Rade and thinking, you know what? He may have been better off to just erase her. Could have been. Yeah. Yeah. That have been a... she, she was like that. Well, I it... don't want to offend anyone out there, but here we go. She was that, that nagging wife, right? <laughs> I, I, yes, I will mm-hmm. nod my head. Okay, and in in agreement. Okay, <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, because I, I think this is kind of the theme that we're probably going to delve into when we get more into what we learned in, in this episode. But obviously, this is an episode about trying to make your own way without friends or allies, right? Okay, and, and the way he basically sent everyone else except Harper and Trance away, um, you know. <laughs> It would have made sense to me for him to just go ahead and be like, yeah, you're too much trouble. Control, all delete. <laughs> right. Yeah. What was the advantage for keeping her around anyway, if he could just erase her and start from scratch? Well, I think the advantage is that he could fly the ship with only six people instead of 2,000 or however, 4,000. We're just talking about a reformat here. I mean, we're not... We're not flying the ship without an AI. It's obvious that he preferred AI Dylan's company. So just have Harper superimpose, right? Right. Take the Dylan AI and put it in charge and then take the Rami AI and, you know, mm-hmm. control the delete. Okay. I, I Yeah, that that would have been a better way of handling it. Because that's not going to mess with your head at all. <laughs> no, giving your, ca- <laughs> giving your former captain orders and him... Taking it and going with it. Yeah, uh. The one that you just killed. Right, uh-huh. right. So at this point, how many times now in the course of this series, two and a half seasons we've we've gone through now, how many times have we seen Refractions of Dawn get killed? I've lost count. Every time. It's, it, it's at least four in this episode because they show it hit and then there's another angle where they show it a second time. They do that twice. Hmm. And I know we have revisited this a couple of times, 
in other episodes besides the pilot. So I'm thinking we've seen Refractions of Dawn killed at least, I'm going to say at least a baker's dozen. Wow. Yeah. That's too bad. You know what I wonder? I don't know how this works in the business, but um, do you get paid for reappearing in clip shows? I think you do. Do you? Well, if you look on IMDb, there are all of those actors from all of these shows, these episodes that were in this show. Mm-hmm. All of them have listed archive footage credits on IMDb. That's IMDb. Right. Are they... Sometimes well, I, IMDb I, has... They're uncredited. True. But it still shows them on IMDb. Right. But I'm thinking the way it's listed as archive footage, I think there's probably a, a kickback or a residual or something that they're, that they're getting for that. Okay. For their image being used. That's good. Yeah. Uh, I have a question about uh, Tears Throwing Star. The Shuriken. Or Shuriken. However you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah. Whatever that thing was. Mm-hmm. Um, it sucks. <laughs> I mean, if it can just bounce off of someone's hand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it, it should have stuck, right? Because mm-hmm. when I first watched that, I was thinking, oh, Gaharis held up the Force Lance and, and it, it bounced, bounced off, off the Force He blocked it with the Force Lance, right? That was my first thought, no, too. No, no. He blocked it with his hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's no good. Because, say, Gaharis hadn't blocked it, then it would have just bounced off of Rade's neck. Right? Yeah. And then Gaharis still shoots him anyway. Um, at the very beginning, Dylan comments about the scar. Yes. Saying, I don't remember that scar. Right? Mm-hmm. That's not a scar. That's a fresh open That's a wound. wound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. It... it that's supposed to be our first tip off that something's up here, right? Yeah. Is because there's there's a scar that he's never seen before. I'm saying no, that's a fresh open wound and you guys were in a big firefight right when he died. So, it stands to reason that he might have some wounds on him. Yeah. Yeah. Why it still hasn't healed up, I'm not sure. Now wait a second. Was it an open wound? I don't think it was. Because the the showdown with Tear, Gaharis kills him mm-hmm. and then walks out of the room. And I was I in my viewing was led to believe that time passed. He's sitting down with Dylan talking with him, and then Harper's eggs hatch. Oh, set mm-hmm. course for Zinti. Yeah. So I'm thinking there's there's some space of time. So a scar could have formed. It didn't look like a scar. No, it looked it looked it looked like. Scab. It was, it was, yeah. <laughs> it okay. Scab. Maybe not an open wound, but it was. It was still Relatively in a wound stage. Fresh. Okay. It, it was not a scar. Right. It wasn't scar tissue. Right. It, it was nasty. Bloody it was. Scabby. It was not an odd colored pink mm-hmm. jagged line. Right. Yeah. No. It was. It was scabby. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Yeah. It, it, did it look like you even picked at it a little bit? Right I think he corner? probably I did. Think he did. Yeah. yeah he's. I a, He's a picker. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The things we learn. About Gaharis Rade. <laughs> uh, this this episode just must have made you just immensely happy. Because guess who died? A lot of people died in this episode. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, can you name the character that I think you would be most pleased was dispatched? Jaren Tex? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He killed him. He killed yeah. him. He did what Dylan couldn't do. Well, I mean, if Rade didn't make any other great decisions... That was the one. The one good decision? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see why Trance couldn't say, well, the universe is a better place. (laughs) 
without that particular night cider. Mm-hmm. Of course, we we lose that one episode later on down the line. You're right, which, which I'm okay with. <laughs> I'm sure you would be. Mm-hmm. I, I want to pick at you just for a minute, like your Harris did that scab. Huh? Yes, okay, that's right. We should have done that one first because that way we that would have been a perfect segue, but we missed it. Um, I've already got a lot of editing and post <laughs> to do for this show, so let's just move right on. All right. Uh, yeah, in your summary, you kept talking about the prime timeline. Yeah, that's all I could come up with to call it. Well, I just think I, I got to disagree because I think what we were seeing in this episode was actually the prime timeline. This is the first time they went through it. Yeah. What we've been watching for the last three seasons is an alternate timeline. The do-over. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. It does make sense. So I'm going to have to bust you on that one. Okay. No, that's fair. Okay. I'll accept that. I'll take my lumps. <laughs> what happened to the second Gaharis Rade? There's a second body somewhere on board. Yeah. Yeah. What happened to that? I think we're just supposed to assume that he shoved him out an airlock. Maybe put him in a, an escape pod. He had that kind of time? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yeah. He, he tossed him in the incinerator on the way, on the way to command deck. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'll accept that. But it, it just, it did strike me. He he walks up, kills him, strips him, and I'm thinking, yeah, he's got some work ahead of him to right. uh, make sure that that doesn't show up somewhere else. And somebody's like, wait a second. What's uh-huh. the captain doing dead stuffed in this closet? Right. But, yeah. And in the alternate timeline, the one that we've been watching for the last three years, mm-hmm. why did Rami not mention any of this? Because surely she saw all this go down, right? Right. Eyes everywhere in the ship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Except when it's convenient for her to not. To, to not see. <laughs> she was busy with the Battle of Hephaestus. I guess so. Yeah. A yeah. L- little bit taxed. All right. And and as we have seen in this show, she's been taxed with less things and has missed. That's true. Missed some stuff. So. Yeah. I can let this slide. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Rade uh, had a line, a quote in here says... You can lead a night cider to water, but you can't make him spawn. Ew. I sat up and took notice of that line as well. <laughs> I just decided not to bring any attention to it. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> I brought attention to it. And? So. Ew. Ew. Yeah, I agree. All right, Ethan, if you're done poking fun, can we talk a little bit more, get into some serious discussion about this episode? I don't know. I kind of want to pick around this one a little bit more. No, no, no don't, oh, don't, I don't. You're gonna, it's going to get take, infected. Take, take. All right, so some things we learned, Ethan. Uh, you want to start us off? The universe can have multiple strings, apparently. Mm-hmm. And uh, is it trance that says that? Um, how does she, I forget how she said it now? Uh, history is already written. Basically, it was the point that she was trying to make. What's going to happen is going to happen. That's kind of the the the. The gist of what she is you saying. Mean, you mean Rami? Did Rami say that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Rami's saying that. Mm-hmm. And, and things happen very similarly to what we have been watching over the last two and a half seasons. But it's not the same. It doesn't lead to the same outcome. Right. It, it leads to failure. So is that... Rami is saying that as if that is... It's already written. Mm-hmm. I guess we're saying that's not true. And she wasn't really stating that as fact. She's saying one theory 
is that everything is already set and there's nothing we can do to change it. So anything that we do is what's already going to be done anyway. Right, because that's the whole argu- argument argument. Yeah. That's the whole argument at the uh, Witchhead Nebula. Right. Yeah. Right. It's it's already happened. Right. So then the counter argument as Tyr brings out the only thing we control is what we do. And if it turns out that what we decide to do doesn't change anything, so be it. But if we have a chance, we can at least we you got to try. Yeah. So they do. And, I mean, it does. It proves that theory wrong. At least in the Andromeda episode, it proves that wrong. Except for the fact that when an older Rade kills the younger Rade, the older Rade doesn't <laughs> fade away into a non-existence. But um, this isn't back yeah, to the I future. I know, I know. Well, the, yeah. the, the point I'm getting down to <laughs> is this This episode, I gotta give it credit. Okay. It takes the, the whole paradox thing that we that we run into and that we either love or hate about time travel episodes yeah it, it takes that and it, it does uh kind of turn it turn it on its head but i'm i'm still i can't figure this show out i can't figure out if it's telling me that time is set and you can't do anything to alter it because you know at like at Witchhead, all of it no matter what they decided to do and it was done a little bit differently in, in some cases, you know, like the the captain of the other uh, uh, Glorious Heritage class ship. Mm-hmm. I forget the name of it now. Yeah. Shocked that I remembered the class name. <laughs> but anyway, um, she still ends up dying. She isn't able to come through with Geharis and Andromeda into mm-hmm. the, the 300 years in the future. She still gets blown up. Yeah. So even though they the timeline is messed with and they try to do things differently. It doesn't happen. It right. happens the way it, it's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I, when we get to the end and trance is like, you can change it by doing this. I'm, I'm feeling like they're, they're playing with it because of plot. Yeah. And that's not really just this episode. That's pretty much any, any story, any sci-fi story where they deal with time travel and alternate timelines, you always have um, this, you still have this basic thread that goes through both of them. There's still that commonality. And it's one of the things that kind of annoys me sometimes, but it also, that's just kind of the way it is, because how else do you tell stories? If you change one thing, and if you take the butterfly effect to to the to the extreme you can't tell any mirror universe stories in star trek because none of those people are still going to be assembled together right right none of these things are actually going if you if you take that with this episode as soon as rade does what he does that completely obliterates that timeline those people are going to be scattered they're going to go to their own worlds or you know just the whole chain of events is going to be totally different why is this core group of people still going to be together yeah the only reason is well actually there's two reasons one is the one i was going to say is because how else do you tell a story you have to completely make up all new characters to surround rade to be this crew it can't be the andromeda crew that we know right they're not going to be there um but the other is that Maybe there is the the constant, you know, and maybe 
maybe Lost was onto something. You have to have the constant, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now Dylan is gone. The universe has to replace that constant, and it's Rod A. Yeah. Everything else kind of folds in together, except that Rod A, he's a decent substitute, but it just doesn't work. Yeah. No, I get that, and I feel like that's that's going to be a great discussion here in a little bit further down the line when we actually talk about Gaharis. Okay. But my to my point, and I think I got a little muddled in my uh, my rambling there initially. Oh, okay. It was just, it, it was, I like the way it's done. I like the way it's told. It's very much the J.J. Abrams Star Trek universe to me. Here we are talking about Star Trek. Um. I, I already said it. So. It's, that's true. Yeah. Uh, it's breaking the timeline, but it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, 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 it was really neat the way they fudged it. Mm-hmm. But at the end, I feel like I got two different messages. And they're both somehow supposed to be actual, right. You know, the universe is going to play out the way it's going to play out. But one man can make a decision and change all of that. And I just... Uh, at the end of the episode, it just kind of didn't balance for me, and I was just wondering how you felt about that, if you got kind of a mixed signal out of it. Yeah. Only, ex- you know what, this might get into some discussion that I think we're going to have later. Okay. Is- well, l- l- let's, then let's table it, okay. and we'll see if we come back to it. Well, I have it written down already. So- okay, so we will come back yeah. to it. All right, let's move on then. Uh, I want to talk about Becca for just a minute. She has a crisis of conscience because of the whole situation, um, the scene from Una Salus Victus with uh, Parvati, yes. the, the Nietzschean woman. Yeah. Um, she had to destroy her. And she comes away from that feeling, that's not me. I can't do that. I can't be a part of this anymore because I can't do that. She's feeling that guilt. Of taking another life, mm-hmm. even though it's a Nietzschean. Uh, my question, though, is why? Why this all of a sudden? Because I cannot count how many times I have seen Becca Valentine in someone else's life. She doesn't do this just haphazardly. I mean, she only kills people that need killing, right? Yeah. Okay. But in our timeline that we're used to seeing, she's willing to do that. But now, all of a sudden, this other timeline... It bothers her conscience. She has a conscience now. Yeah. No, I I agree. And I kind of went down that same rabbit hole with, with the same thinking. And then it occurred to me, well, in the timeline that we're familiar with, she has Dylan there, who respects Nietzscheans, values them, especially when they're they're helping, right? Okay. Uh, he's building alliances with some of them. So she, she sees a person there that is willing to work with them. Um, but when it comes down to it, if, if he has to take action against them, well, that's the right and that's the just thing to do. So the fact that she's had to, to make those same decisions, she's had to kill or be killed. But she has Dylan there to counter a lot of that bad feeling that, that would naturally well up. Now, in the timeline with Geharis, 
there isn't that force for good. Geharis is out for revenge, essentially. He's going to restore order, and he doesn't care how he, how he gets there, right? So the just and righteous cause, that's not even a discussion on that ship. So she does have a conscience, and it's starting to really bother her now because she doesn't have that that good personality that we have in Dylan. Okay. That's what I came up with right. to, to kind of see to kind of justify her going down that path of of that come to Jesus moment that she has where she has to go clear her head. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? All right. That's that's where I was at with it. Okay. All right. Well, I will accept that. I have no nothing to to argue with that. So. Okay. It's logical. I do want to add, though, it was great to hear from Rev Bim one more time. It, we did hear that one line, didn't we? <laughs> uh, what was it? Weapons arm or... Something? In position? Yeah, yeah something in like position. That. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Oh, Rev yeah. Bim. Yeah. yeah. And we did get to see him on the uh, the split screen there, too, when they are coming on board. Oh, was he? Yeah. I, I didn't yeah, even he, see that. Yeah, he was one of the, the split screens. Okay. When they're boarding the ship and uh, Rade and, and Rami are watching them come on board. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I missed that. I'm going to have to go back and watch it because I miss Rev Bim. Me too. I guess I could go back and watch, you know, all the episodes that he was in. That's true. You could do that. Yeah. There you are. But but who has the time? Not for this show. No. Let's talk about Gaharis. Okay. I, th- I feel like this is a... I feel like this is a character I want to talk about now. Yeah. Before he was just the mustache twirling villain. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Now we have a person. Mm-hmm. Is he a villain? Okay, well, you know what? I'm just going to defer to Dylan. Because Dylan said, and I quote, every man is the hero of his own story. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what Rade is here. Everything that he does, he believes he's doing the right thing. Yeah. Even though he's betraying his best friend and his captain. He did it because he believed it was the right thing. He had to do it. He believed that he gave Dylan the chance to get out. He didn't take it. So, sorry, buddy. Took action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You can disagree with whether or not that was the right thing. I do. But in his moment, in that circumstance, he believed that he was doing the right thing. There was no other choice for him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You say you disagree. But that's because of hindsight. And as we both know, hindsight's 50-50. Right. Yeah. Uh, No, (laughs) because I'll tell you, from episode one, I felt that that was the wrong thing for him to do to try to kill Dylan. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. No, and I agree. He he is the anti-hero in this episode. Yeah. Um, That becomes the hero. In yeah, eleven the eleventh hour. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, which I guess that is all redemption stories, I suppose. Yeah, but um, yeah, he steps up mm-hmm. there at the end. Um, I I really thought it was intriguing how they wrote his character for for this episode. He does a lot of the same things that Dylan is doing. Mm-hmm. It's just his moral compass is pointed just a little bit differently than Dylan's. Yeah, and that to me was kind of the thread that uh, was being woven as you can see the, the dichotomy between Dylan and Gaharis is that he was doing a lot of the things and they were working out the same way, but it just wasn't quite for the right reasons. Yeah. 
And then we get to watch all of the fallout from that. Instead of bringing people together in unity, he's driving people away and even killing them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just thought that was really interesting the way they were able to portray this character that I had always just viewed as ha-ha, monologuing and then dead, you know, mm-hmm. because he, he did the wrong thing. But you got you kind of get to see his point of view. And even though it's at the end of the day, you can still say he definitely was wrong. Um, I thought it was interesting storytelling um, that they were able to, to tell the story that we're familiar with, but not really mm-hmm. because it's all been done before. And what we're familiar with is the do over. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And to me, he doesn't stay the villain for very long because once he comes out at the other side and takes on the crew then he starts to figure out what his actions have led to. He immediately goes to try try to try try to repair history, try to repair the universe, just like Dylan did, except for the the fact that kind of he was he was partially responsible for it. Yeah, and now he's trying to fix it. And it's not until the end you, you say redemption. I think he redeemed himself much earlier on than that. As soon as he came out the other side of that black hole, realized what he had done or what was the consequences of his actions, he immediately tries to start restoring civilization. Yeah, but he still makes decisions that are, I feel like, with a, a moral compass that's kind of pointed the wrong direction. Well, so I still can view him as a bad yeah, guy. He's he's a Nietzschean. Right. He's still looking at it from a Nietzschean point of view, yeah. even though he has, as at least he says that he's pretty much disavowed all of the Nietzscheans and their ways of thinking because they're they're sideways as far as he's concerned. But but you can't get rid of that from within yourself. Right. He's it's still there. Yeah. Within him. So he's affected by the Nietzschean side of him in those decisions that he makes. He doesn't have as much of a, of a value for life. You know, uh, I mean, Dylan definitely values life way more than Rade does. Right. Well, Dylan values allies yeah. and, and friendship. Yeah. And, and you could see that that was something that Gaharis just wasn't interested in. All well, he was inter- interested in was the task. Yeah. Was he not interested in it or was he just not good at it? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. That is a good question. I think he was interested, but it's just... When it came to when stuff got... Did he have tunnel vision? When times got tough, he didn't have the chops to forge the alliances to, reach main, to maintain them. Reach out for suggestions, yeah. things like so that. Yeah, and so when stuff went sideways, he just went the other way. Hmm. He's like, let's, let's, let's not deal with that. Yeah. The Nietzscheans, the prides are giving me trouble, so... I'm going to avoid them. Yeah. 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 I don't blame him. Right. We kind of wish Dylan would, yeah. in some cases, too. I mean, all of these... <laughs> You know what? This just occurred to me. So many of these decisions that Rade made is the same way that Tyr urged Dylan to go. How many times have we seen Tyr just get all over Dylan? Why are you doing this? Just don't mess with this. And that's how Rade went. Yeah. Rade and Tyr didn't have too many disagreements. Right. Except the one real big one. Right at the end. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, tears in. Yeah. No doubt. Uh-huh. 
Well, yeah, no, that's good. And I, I feel like, um, oh, well, you, you say you felt like he was wrong right, right from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I will agree with him in this. Uh, he makes the the comment to Tyr, I think, when they're talking after Witchhead, when Tyr's mad at him mm-hmm. for destroying most of the fleet. Geharis makes the observation that they were supposed to be gods. Right. Warrior poets. And that they would just travel amongst the stars, being awesome, mm-hmm. basically, is the point that he's trying to make. But he has come to the realization that the Nietzscheans are weak and selfish and only out for their own good. Is that him recognizing that Nietzsche and that philosophy was wrong? Or or does he does he see it and then just kind of look the other way, kind of like what you're talking about before? When, when the going gets rough, he, he just tries to do something different. Well, I don't think it... This isn't going to directly answer your question, but I think it also kind of does. There have been so many human philosophies throughout the centuries that sound good. They sound reasonable. Yeah. But you can't account for selfishness and the things that power and greed do to people. Yeah. That's what none of these philosophies can account for that. You have... Nietzsche's philosophy, um, which to the to the Nietzscheans sound great on paper, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they name themselves after the man. Yeah. So, but, but the, the realities of putting that into into play, it doesn't work. Yeah, because of the people. Yep. Hmm. If you could program it into a video game, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then there are so many of these human philosophies throughout the centuries that would work great, mm-hmm. but. Power, greed, selfishness. Yeah, you, you're, you can't get rid of that. Yeah. So in the end, I guess when talking about Geharis, uh, he he's a man of action, but he rules with an iron fist, and he fails. Mm-hmm. So so what? Yeah, let's ask what what's the lesson we learn from from Geharis Rade? Don't be a dictator. <laughs> Yeah, put, I mean, put up with other people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he if he was a dictator, I don't, I don't know. I just, again, I'm coming at this thinking that he, there was definitely the big redemption at the end where he made the big sacrifice. But I also feel like he showed who he was much earlier on than that. Um, I'm giving him credit in this. I think long before you start to give him credit. Okay. Um, because I'm looking at not so much his actions as much as his intentions. Yeah. I believe that his intentions were good the whole time. It's just that his plan was terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His people skills were not good. <laughs> yeah. He needed an HR department to back yeah. him up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what, though? I will say... From a Nietzschean point of view, because Tyr gets after him and calls him, what does he say? He, the, I can't remember what he calls him, but basically just gets after him for slaughtering. Yeah, Angel of Death. Is that what he called yeah, him? Yeah, he does call it, which I think he called Dylan that, too. Okay. That's that's what the Nietzscheans referred to whoever was responsible for that slaughter okay. as the Angel of Death. Yeah. All right. Um doesn't that also kind of make Rade the greatest Nietzschean of all time? <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from Nietzschean standpoint, 
He got it done. Yeah, he did. In a big way. Yep. He proved his DNA's worth. And eventually, so did Dylan. So it's not really that big of a deal. Okay. (laughs) Except that he let him win. That's true. Yeah. Okay, so uh, here's one that I think is kind of a, in my opinion, this is a pretty big discussion that we need to have. Trance. What about her? Trance is behind the whole thing. It's all trance. I thought we'd already established this. In this episode or before? Previous to this episode, yeah. Well, yeah, but now even more so. Because she's the one, or whoever they are, we thought you were the one, we were wrong, it needs to be Dylan. Um, Did you notice that Trance was not in the what I'm going to call the prime timeline because yeah, because Gaharis didn't recognize her. He said, who are you? But purple he, trance was there. Becca had to introduce him to her. This is trance. She's a friend of mine. You need to listen to her. Yeah, but we got a whole scene with purple. Tr- oh, wait a second. That could have been isolated from Gaharis. He, you're right. You're right. We didn't ever see purple trance. Mm hmm. Prior to the whole tesseracting thing. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a good point. I, I missed that. So that means that at some point, when this is all going on, Trance is apparently watching from a distance. Yeah. Uh, she comes back, trades places with Purple Trance, and then goes back and tells Gaharis, we did this wrong, you need to go back, Dylan needs to be the one. And then, somewhere in there, she ends up on the Maru. Yeah. Because if she's not on the Maru for the first timeline, and now she's on the Maru for the second timeline. So she's like, okay, things didn't work out, so I need to be there to see it through. Right. So now my question is, what was Purple Trance doing there to begin with, Alden? Well, that was just a... In the second timeline. Yeah. So she sends her away, and then she comes back in the second timeline. Yes. For the show that we see. Mm-hmm. And then sends her away again. Right. But she came from the timeline where she already knew Becca, even though without the first timeline, she wouldn't have been there to know Becca. But now she does. Right. Okay. So, and I'm thinking of it like back to the future. I'm thinking one timeline jumping to different points mm-hmm. and you can't think of it that way. This is a couple of, divergent mm-hmm. timelines that have points where they tie in together. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> this, this episode's hurting my brain a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm with you though. Okay. I think I'm with you now. Yeah. So we get, we get some stuff then from trance because she uses the plural. Yes. We were wrong. Yes. We thought it was you. Who's we, her yeah. and purple trance. Or is there a committee out there that's making this these decisions? It's weird. We know there are others of her kind out there. We've met one before. Yeah. Interesting. If he would have called her a committee, then she could have said, I am not a committee. Yep. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. They missed, they missed they one did. there. They did. They missed they did. one. I don't mean to re- rewrite this episode now, but uh, there's one they could have done. Yeah. Um, you know what about the Tesseract thing? And this is just a, a little point. It's not really important. But I, at the beginning and at the end, both when you have that 
tesseract effect that goes across the D- yeah, yeah across Dylan's face. Yeah. What is that? Is that a tesseract event or is it just to signal a flashback to us? I felt like because the thing that I clued in on was the ship and you see like one image of the ship go one direction and you see another image of the ship go that was where whatever tesseracting action was taking place you had the diverging lines yeah and then they merge back together at the end okay so, so I, I feel like that it's the universe splitting itself into different different directions so it took three years for the events that Geharis set into motion it took three years for them to get to that back to back to that point. No, no, it's taken us two and a half seasons to get to the point where we see it split and it's instantaneous. The split happens and then it merges back together because we see it at the beginning. We see it at the end, right? Split back together. Now it only takes Geharis. How long was Ouroboros? Year and a half. Yeah. It only takes Geharis a year and a half to get to the point where he's like, oh, well, I failed. Right. Now, still in shot. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then it does take all the way to this point, to when we actually see that Tesseract event take place, that that's when this is happening. Just coincidentally happens right as they're looking over the body of Geharis Rade. No, yeah, but it happened a year and a half earlier. How come we're it, seeing it, a Tesseract effect now? While the, Dylan the, is staring at the body, the little happened. lightning thing goes. It happened in Ouroboros. Yeah. That's the event. Yeah. We're just catching a fragment, and it just so happens that it was two in, a year after that. Ouroboros is when Geharis goes back to the first episode. O- Ouroboros That's is a when nexus. He cha- I understand that. It's the center of it all. I will never deny that. Okay. But... <laughs> It's in Ouroboros that Geharis goes back to the first episode mm-hmm. and changes his actions. Yeah. And that is when the timeline changes. It doesn't change from Ouroboros. It changes from when he sacrifices himself in, okay. in Under the Night. I feel like you're falling into the same pattern that I was into just a moment ago. Okay. Where you're trying to think of the timeline as something that resets and then flows forward. And it's not. It's, it's parallels, and you just have these these junction points throughout it. Okay. And it, you just jump back and forth and slide. Ow, 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 I'm ow, sorry. ow, ow, I know. It's like an ice cream headache, oh, isn't it? it okay. Yeah, right there. Boy, it's <sighs> just painful. Okay. <laughs> I, that's what I'm saying. Is, and that's what I was asking at the, at the beginning when okay. we first started talking about this. I'm, I'm still having a hard time sorting out how this universe is presenting all of these jumping off points and flashbacks and flash forwards and things like that. Okay. How do I, how would I put that on paper? All right. So this whole time we've been having this conversation, we've been talking about two completely different things. Kind of, sort of. Okay. I think. All right. That's good podcasting, my friend. <laughs> well, what do you say we go on to something that we know? Now that, something, we've, now that we've muddied the waters yeah. thoroughly. Something that we can read in plain black and white. Let's do it. All right. We have a quote. You're not going to believe who said this. Boy, this is great. I've got two guesses, and I think the first one doesn't shouldn't count. All right. 
It matters little how we die, so long as we die better men than we imagined we could be, and no worse than we feared. You know who said that? Dylan Hunt. You know what? If you were to answer that, you would be incorrect. Okay. Yeah. So, what's your second answer? Drago Museveni. That's right. Or Museveni. (laughs) That's right. Commonwealth year 8451. Drago Museveni makes that utterance. So, mm-hmm. um I guess first of all just in relation to this episode. What do you what do you think about that? I I like the I like the saying. Mm-hmm. I mean it, it it makes sense. It it um it doesn't matter how you die, that you die. That that's not the important point. It's what kind of person were you? What man were you? At the point when you died, were you living selfishly or were you doing something for the good of others? And I think like we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes or so, what type of man was Geharis Rade? Well, at the end, and it doesn't matter when that change happened, whether it was earlier or later before his end, he, he made the, the right decision at the end. And so now when we see that man laying in the cryogenic tank, regardless of how Harper may have felt about him, <laughs> good or bad, bad intentions, road, uh, what is it? What does he says at the end? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm. That's what he says there at the end. Yeah, that's a, that's a negative viewpoint. At the end, Geharis was making the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. And so you have to look at him laying there and be like, now that I know the story, he was a good man. Mm-hmm. I, I can kind of view him as the hero, even though the reality is he was kind of an anti-hero. And so I think the saying really fits kind of the idea that we are trying to think about when it comes to Geharis Rade now. Mm-hmm. I think so, and it definitely holds up um, in that regard, unless you look at it from a Nietzschean point of view. I don't think a Nietzschean would view Rade's actions in this same light, even though it was a Nietzschean that said it. I was going to say, the Nietzschean yeah. said it. Right. But I don't think they're talking about what Rade did here. Yeah. Because what is what is their philosophy supposed to be? Enlightened self, what was it? Not self-preservation, but enlightened self-interest. Self self-interest. Enlightened self-interest. Yeah. yeah. I think that... Rade's decision in the end is enlightened. I'm not really sure if it shows self-interest, though. In fact, it's it's selflessness, if anything. And that doesn't follow with the Nietzschean philosophy. That's true, because there is no place for him in the timeline that is now going to, to take place. Right. Yeah. yeah. That would not be self-interest in, the, in any shape, form, mm-hmm. or fashion. And, and I, I kind of wonder why... Why is it that way? Why did the events have to turn out like this. Why did Rade have to go back, kill his original self, and then throw the fight and get himself killed? Why couldn't he have just distracted Dylan a little bit, some way, in a nonviolent way, to go ahead and get themselves caught, and then they can come out the other side together? Because plot. Okay. 
And because contracts. <laughs> and, and two and a half previous seasons of oh. a television show. All right. Yeah. Well, wouldn't this be a great jumping off point then? Reboot the series now. Yeah. Halfway through. That would have been awesome. That, actually, this would be a great idea. Because Tear's being such a problem lately. Go ahead and get rid of Tear. Mm-hmm. And bring Steve Basic on full time. Why didn't they think of that? That, it seems like at this point, that would have been an awesome move. Yeah. Hmm. Well, they didn't take the, they didn't do it. No. Okay. No. And unfortunately, that means that we're probably never going to get to see Steve Basic ever again. So. Yep. Yep, you're right. Anyway, those are other episodes to talk about. Let's finish up this one. Yep. All right, Ethan, I put it to you. What's your final thoughts on this episode? The Unconquerable Man. Well, Ryan, it's a clip show. And you know what? I'm not turned off by that in the least. Uh I was actually really, really pleased with this one. I watched it and knew it was a clip show as I was watching it. Mm -hmm. But then when I got to the end of it, with the ideas that it presented and with the the, the uh, hand-wavy, timey-wimey... mind bleepery that was taking place with this episode i uh i ended up when it was over and the credits were rolling was thinking wow i i actually i really liked this episode um it had all the elements of the show that we love we got to see ouroboros we got to see witch head nebula battle again and a bunch of other stuff that we were familiar with it was like it's like the greatest hits of all the good episodes Mm mm-hmm and then we weave a completely different storyline in amongst all of those events that we're familiar with. It, I This is one of the best episodes of Andromeda that I think I've seen, particularly in the last two seasons that we've been going over. Maybe not from the first season. Maybe the first season has several better episodes. In fact, I know I know there are several better episodes. But of these of this second and third season, this is probably one of my tops. This is this is a favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. I was looking, and at- it's a clip show. I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry, I yeah. cut you off there. That's all right. No, I was looking forward to this one coming in, and like you, I also knew that it was a clip, a clip show. And you had reminded me many times over, you know, that's a clip show, right? It's like, yeah. Um, but you know what? When I come out of this, I don't come out of it feeling like I watched a clip show, because yeah, there were a lot of flashbacks to things that we had already seen but it is different now Mm -hmm. it's kind of like you're saying yeah that's okay that's a scene that i saw but now it now it means something different there's a different story behind it and then uh all all of the the storylines that we have seen and where they basically pretty much stay true to what we've already seen but they're reshot with a different actor mm-hmm. and with a kind of just a slightly different point of view. The circumstance is a little bit different, even though it's the same, but it's different. And so it made it all really interesting. It, it, um, I think the Commonwealth needs to watch this episode so that they can realize just how valuable Dylan actually is. Yeah. No, that would be yeah. smart. This, it does though. It, this, this episode, even though it's not about Dylan, it speaks volumes about Dylan and his leadership. Yeah, it does. And if I may, it also speaks volumes about the Nietzscheans. Because when we see a person that is Nietzschean go through the same things that Dylan has been faced with 
and tries to do it from the Nietzschean standpoint, we see the shortcomings mm-hmm. of them as a culture. How they have survived this long with their prides and areas of power and haven't devolved into a full-scale war with each other is unfathomable. Mm-hmm. Because when you try and push and nudge and get things to go a certain direction for the good of the ga- of the galaxy, of the universe, they just become petty and fall apart. Mm-hmm. And thus, Geharis's plans fall apart. Right. And, th- and that really, to me, just speaks to the, f- the failings of the Nietzschean culture. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I thought, I thought this episode did a really good job of pointing that out as well. And that isn't that really ultimately what we like about sci-fi is to prove that humans are the best. That's right. Mm-hmm. We pat ourselves in the back with it, yeah. and we feel better at the end. Yeah, I felt better. I felt better, too. So, it, it also highlighted the importance of allies and getting along with others. That's true. I thought that was a, uh, that was a good lesson that yeah. was brought out, too. And it, it, Trance is a little bonk, bonk on the head with it, but I felt like there was enough other stuff that wasn't bonk, bonk on the head, but still pointed to that lesson as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was... I thought it was well, really well done. I, I love this episode. Yeah, me too. I enjoyed it a lot. But that's what we think. What if somebody wanted to tell us what they thought? How could they get a hold of us? Well, they could certainly do that by sending us an email. And you can send that email to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. I'll tell you a couple more ways. They could get a hold of us on Facebook or Twitter by using the handle at AndromedaPod. That's where we are. We're also on Podbean, www.andromedapod.com andromedaseries.podbean.com where if you happen to stop by there you can listen to any of our episodes our whole backlog and uh, you could also leave a tip if you wanted to we have a tip jar there yep. and if you listen to us on iTunes definitely definitely give us a rating and a review we would certainly appreciate that good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson for once again giving us his wonderful voice for the opening quote of this episode Drive Back Tonight is an Age of Geek production. Check them out over at, uh, what's the address now? Ageofgeek.podbean.com Good stuff going on over there. Those guys are really awesome. Give them a listen. And we hope that you'll join us back here again next time when we discuss the episode number 55, Delinda Est. Later, Rade feels that he can no longer trust Deer. Deer. <laughs> <laughs> They'll just run out in front of you. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. And squirrels. Don't trust squirrels yeah. either. There's always more than one. <laughs>